I always wanted a lot of money. It's something um, it just killed me um, that I didn't have it. And I hated the feeling of being broke. I hated the feeling of of uh, having to look at the price on the menu. Like that was the, the number one goal for me was I just want to go to a nice dinner and not have to look at the price on the menu. What's the lesson that you've, you've gained from losing money investing? The biggest thing now is, is the person. It's the people, it's not even the investment. The most dangerous thing is the water. Because when that those chemicals come into your house and they go through the hot water heater, it turns your, your, your shower into a gas chamber of chemicals. You have to be wealthy inside before you're ever going to be wealthy monetarily. Hey guys, it's Caleb Williams with Hey Justin, welcome to the Better Wall Show. Happy to be here. Uh, we we connected actually on Instagram, which is which is becoming a more and more popular platform for me to connect with great people. Um, you've done some pretty credible things. You you're in health. You sold your your health company at least on Google. It says for thirty five million dollars. I don't know if that's true or not, but congratulations on that. You understand real estate uh, very well, but you don't invest in real estate for the the cash flow like a lot of people preach. You do that more for the tax strategy. Um, and I know that you're just a big time investor, uh, business business owner, and it's always a pleasure to have people that are making moves on the show. Love it. Yeah. I mean, giving back, doing stuff like this where we can try and accelerate people's growth curves. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. A lot of people did that for me. So happy to give back. So before we jump into health hacking and real estate hacking, why don't you give like a three to five minute just backstory on like who you are, why why you're even on the show, why why, why you get excited to talk uh, about you know, real estate and health. But I, I just find that the backstory can be very helpful as a foundation. Yeah. I mean, it depends how far we want to go back. I mean, we could start, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, playing sports. Um, I was a hockey player and uh, I feel like sports is a vital thing for people when they're young. It kind of develops the disciplines that are going to carry over to real life. Um, so that that was huge for me, uh, getting getting beat up on the ice rink and dealing with really aggressive, tough coaches, you know, kind of built with thick skin. And then, um, you know, watching my dad being an entrepreneur growing up, um, seeing all the ups and downs of that, you know, how great it is when things are good and how destructively terrible things can be when they're not going well. Uh, so kind of going through that, you know, it's it's an acceleration process for when you get in the real world. You know, if, if you grew up in a, a traditional household, uh, you don't really have those ups and downs experiences. And then when you get into entrepreneurship, you got to take those head on, um, you know, and you've never experienced it before. So that was, that was interesting growing up. I'm um, seeing my dad make millions and millions of dollars and then have some investment failures, losing millions of dollars. And that's an incredible thing to watch as, as a child. So, um, got to go through that. I went to college and, uh, just wanted to play hockey. I was a music major, could not figure out at all what I wanted to do with my life. And, uh, you know, five years later, I still hadn't graduated, still just completely lost in that vehicle. And, um, you know, you just feel like you're, you're forced into that, like you had to do it. And I just, it took me a while to realize that it just wasn't going to be the path for me. So at, at the time, did you want to be like a music instructor? Or did you want to perform? You know, I, I, I was never looking at it as a practical avenue for life. Um, I was in the recording studio and instead of doing my work, I was uh, finding the rappers on campus and charging them by the hour to to be in the studio. So I was always like in this entrepreneurial, yeah. like wanted to make money. And to me, like schoolwork, there was no incentive, like grades yeah. don't pay, pay bills. So I just couldn't yeah. get behind it. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I always wanted a lot of money. It was something, um, it just killed me um, that I didn't have it. And I hated the feeling of being broke. I hated the feeling of, of uh, having to look at the price on the menu. Like that was the, the number one goal for me was I just want to go to a nice dinner and not have to look at the price on the menu. Simple things like that. And that's kind of what drove me in the beginning. Uh, so I got into 100% commission sales. That's where it started for me in the summer uh, between my fourth and fifth year of college. And uh, you know, you get those first couple, first time you make a couple thousand bucks in a week. And you know, what am I going to go be a music teacher at that point? I'm like, okay, I'm going to make 30 grand a year. And I, I literally now I'm on pace to make like 50 and I'm just doing some direct sales. So um, that's when I knew that I, I needed to drop out and just go all in on, on hundred percent commission sales. So that's kind of how it rolled. And then, and then from there, was it like a network marketing company or were you, were you represent, what were we selling? Yeah. So it was, it was a company that my dad had started. It was called Heartland Home Foods, uh, small little food service at that point. There was only a couple sales guys. And, you know, I started at the absolute bottom there. Um, when I was in college, I was doing deliveries, uh, working in the warehouse, and then I jumped into the sales arena. Um, same commission schedule as everybody else, you know, no no special treatment or anything just because your family actually kind of makes it worse because everybody uh, thinks you've got, you know, special treatment. So you got to perform that much more. And uh, that's exactly what I did. So um, fast forward 10 years later, um, I set all the sales records, not just in the company, but in, in our industry, um, sale, sales in a month, sales in a year, all, all that stuff. And um, started building teams, and we, and we grew the company to you know over 10 million in annual sales. And and at that point, um, when we sold it, uh, we had done 87 million in sales. And um, that's why I moved on to being a full time investor and managing partner now with Kearns Capital. That's that's amazing. So Kearns Capital is that a fund that invests in real estate primarily, or what exactly do you guys invest in? So we don't actually invest in any real estate at all. That's uh, not what we do with the fund. Um, personally, as an investor. While we were building that food company, uh, I knew real estate was the foundation of wealth. It's it's slow money, it's long money, but it's extremely safe and stable money. So I knew I wanted that to be the foundation for me, and uh, I started um, investing. The first first thing I did was buy a condo, right? Buy buy a single unit and then move out into a townhouse and rent the other unit. And then that's and then I stumbled on multifamily real estate, and just diving into that, I was like, you know, I'm going to go do that. And after all the due diligence, reading a ton of books, I realized that my skill set is not being an operator. It's not uh, project management, all, all these things that go into a big multifamily syndication. So uh, I just started investing as a limited partner, as an LP, started stacking up uh, all over the country. So now I've got uh, I'm a passive investor on over 1,600 units in five states, and that's completely separate from current capital. So what I what I did going into this real estate is I was doing it for the cash flow, like everybody else, right? I didn't want to just save traditionally to build up a nest egg and then draw down from it in fear and retirement. I didn't want that. I wanted stable cash flow that would sustain a lifestyle for today and for tomorrow. And the tax side of that, the first time I, I started investing in it and doing tax planning with my taxes, they're like, you have all these passive losses from all the capex, the depreciation, cost eggs, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, how do I use it? They're like, well, you don't have any other passive income. So I ended up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses on paper that I couldn't use. So I well, was could can't can you use it for your active income? No, no, you not as not, not as an LP. LP. Right. So when you're in an LP, it's considered passive. And the way the tax, you know, I'm not an investment advisor or a CPA, but as far as I understand it, this is what my teams tell me. You know, the the passive side of the equation, the 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 write offs go with the gains. Same thing with the active. 
So if you can get a syndicator to put you on the GP side, you can use that against your active income. Yeah. So interesting. So you, so you, so that was kind of like an epiphany moment where you're like, oh, I have all these tax, I'm going to call them credits, but they're not the tax benefits, I should say, but that you couldn't use. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that, that's when I was not only looking for the next thing I was going to do after um, the food company, since we were exiting, uh, but I was looking for ways to get high passive income to use all these write-offs. And Kearns Capital was the perfect fit. You know, Cody was starting this hedge fund. I was one of the, the first investors uh, before it even launched. Uh, I had my money in. And um, we, we, we trade currency pairings with algorithms, annual traders. We also do swing trading and equities. It's a lot of different trading strategies that um, add up to a 2 to 4% monthly return target net of all the fees and splits. So um, we've been exceeding those targets. Uh, we've been absolutely just perfect conditions for our strategies. And uh, now I got a lot of passive income that I can use my real estate write-offs for. So that's kind of how that developed. And now every year I'm going to be looking at, okay, what are my gains in hedge fund? Because they're considered passive. And then if I don't have enough write-offs from real estate, then I'll make that real estate investment in Q4 to make sure that I zero out my hedge fund gains because it's, it's not always what the returns are. It's how much are we going to keep of those returns. That's the most important part. That's right. It's it's just like a lot of times in retirement planning, people want to talk about rate of return, but a lot of times it's like, what's the goal of retirement? It's usually cash flow. And so it's we have to figure out the metric and then optimize for that metric. And a lot of times the metric in itself is flawed. So I really appreciate your mindset. Is current capital, are you guys like, are you guys bringing in outside money right now? Or is it main, like, are you guys, is it mainly just your money and people that are close to you? Yeah. So we launched fund one. Um, last year, the the trade started on July 1st, and um, since then, uh, we've raised from outside investors. Uh, we're, we're, we're just over 20 million assets under management at this point, and, and that's a fund one. We also do um, SPVs and private equity, special purpose vehicles. We can talk about that too. But uh, yeah, yeah, fund one's about to turn one year old in, in about a week. Lovely. All right. So before we jump into anything specific, if we take it like five steps back, what is some of the life lessons you've learned by like five years in college, learning to sell, exiting a company, starting to invest? I'm sure you've you've had a lot of ups and down lows uh, along the way. If you had to like reflect on some of the things that you could share to your younger self, knowing what you know now, what, what would some of those lessons be? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I would tell myself is when I first started making money, is that it's not time to invest yet. It's it's the it's the first yeah. thing that people want to do when you when you get your first five grand that you know you don't need to pay bills with, and you're like, well, what am I going to do with it? Five grand, ten grand. Uh, let's in, let's be an investor, right? And there's all this propaganda out there from like Acorns, you know, invest the pennies, Robinhood, get a free dollar stock, you know, all this stuff. And the reality is, is that it's too small. It's not time to be, in, you know, if you want to be a real investor in the accredited world, first of all, you got to make 200 grand a year if you're single, 300,000 if you're if you're married or you don't even have access to real investments. So what I would say is if I go back to my younger self, reinvest all that money back into myself, my business, my marketing, however I'm going to accelerate my 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 main income stream so that I can get that first 100,000 liquid to go be a real investor because that's the minimum on this stuff. If you want to play in the private placement space, Undergrand's a mint. 
Yeah, no, I I actually could not agree more. Uh, it's it's funny a lot of a lot of people are, are talking about your greatest investment being like in your Roth IRA or real estate, and it's it's so interesting. It's like show if you show me an A player, you show me someone that's maximized their ability and up leveled their skill sets, they're able to get so many more opportunities, and they're able to make a whole lot more active income because of the value that they're bringing to the marketplace. And so that's. That's I love that you went there. And I also think emergency funds are highly underrated. Like I think everyone will perform better if you don't have to worry about, you know, three to six months, even nine months of money. If like you have that, I've found that people can show up more powerfully or invest in those deals. And a lot of times if people are broke and they're putting all their money into quote unquote investments, then then they're always worried and they're not able to say yes to the thing that might take them to the moon. That's it. Being being liquid is extremely important because when these opportunities come up, like the best opportunity that we're probably going to get this year, we just had, it was a Flexport. It's a $6 billion company, $6 billion in annual revenue, massive behemoth worldwide. There are 116 countries they operate in. We were able to acquire some shares from a distressed fund, three weeks to close. That's it. So mm-hmm. from the time we, we heard about it to the time we had to raise the capital, three weeks. That means you got to be able to send a wire real quick. Right. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times, you know, cause people like they want to invest it, right. They don't want to sit on a lot of cash. Yeah. So what I, the way that I handle that is all of my assets have credit lines. on. Yeah. Right. So it's accessible if I need it, but it's really like a cash equivalent and I'm not paying any interest unless I need to go deploy it. It's great. So it's like a HELOC for your investments. Yeah. So the, how do you, how do you tell, how do you do your due diligence? Because so that's another thing is what, what I, hate is when people are like, just take more risk. It's like, well, the definition of risk is your chance of loss. So how do you, you've talked about, okay, when you're accredited, you have some advantages, but how do you tell? Because I'll just be very frank. I have a ton of friends who've lost a lot of money who are accredited that got into like special alternative investments that I'm not even going to say they're all Ponzi schemes. I'm just going to say they weren't all what they were cracked up to be. How do you do your due diligence? Yeah, this is this is a tough one because no matter how much due diligence you do, things can still go wrong, right? So, of course, you do your due diligence, you know, make sure everything's compliant, make sure there's PPMs, make sure there's identity verifications, like all of these protocols and processes. When it comes to nefarious stuff, you, you can spot it pretty quickly. Um, and if you can't, get an attorney to look at it, you know. Um, but then even after all of that, you can still do everything compliantly and something can go wrong in an investment. So the way that I look at risk is the overall portfolio and how we're, how we're allocating, right? So for instance, on my multifamily stuff, I, I don't put all my money with one operator, right? I spread it out amongst a bunch of operators, even some that I don't like as much as the other ones because it's about risk mitigation. I don't invest too heavily in one area of the country. I don't invest too heavily in A class, B class, or C class. So it's all about spreading it across the portfolio. So if A class gets hit, which it is right now, pretty hard, you know, I'm seeing my cash flows get compressed in A class, but my C's and B's are doing pretty well, right? Certain areas of the country might be pulling back right now, and then other areas are still booming. So when I aggregate that across the whole portfolio, we're hedging risk. If, if I lose one of these investments, if I lose two of them, it's not the end of the world because just as a principle, Everybody's got a different number for this, but I'm not putting more than 10% of the net worth in any one thing, Yeah, no matter how much I love it. And people you just can't fall in love with an investment, no matter how great it is. 
even my own thing. I want to put a lot more money in Currents Capital, but I'm not going to violate my principles. So, so you have less than 10% of in, in Currents Capital? Of net worth, yeah. So my, my next question is, if you're in a stage where you've not made it yet and you're in a business, do you change your advice and say, go all in on yourself or your business so that you hit that level and only then start diversifying when you start having money to invest in other things? Let me know if that question makes sense. And like, how would you, what would you say to the person that isn't at your level yet, but like wants to be an investor and knows that they need to go all in on themselves, which looks like going all in on a business? Yeah, that's it's such a great question because it is something that shifts over time. When you don't have a lot of money, you need to take big risks. When you do have a lot of money, you, you take small risks with a lot of money, right? So yeah, in the beginning, and this is something I see with everybody. I mean, me, I was like this for a long time. Why am I trying to protect $10,000? If all I have is 10 grand, 100 grand, all in, all in, all in, over and over until you get something that hits. If you lose that money, you really didn't have anything anyways. You get to start over, but you were basically at the beginning anyways. Now, when we get to, to millions of dollars, then it's a different discussion. But that's that's my that's my barometer of money, right? Everybody's is different. Guy like Elon Musk makes a couple hundred million off of PayPal, puts it all in on the next thing. You know, like he had a different vision. In his mind, he was like, what's a couple hundred million? It's nothing. I, I haven't gotten to where I want to get yet. So I'm going to go all in. So you have to just find out what that barometer is for you. And again, stick to the principles. And as it shifts, you know, change, the, change, change that. I'm sure you've lost money in investments. What what has been the theme or the lesson that you've learned in investments when, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're like, okay, I should have saw that or this is a good lesson. What's the lesson that you've, you've gained from losing money investing? Yeah, I mean... You, you learn something different every time it happens. Um, I would say for me, the biggest thing now is, is the person. It's the people. It's not even the investment. Like if, if we're not having fun, if I don't like you, if the vibes are off, anything like that, I don't care how great your investment is because one of these things, it used to be all about the investment for me in the beginning. Now it's about the operator, the exchange, you know, do they do what they say they're going to do? Are these reports coming on time? Like, is everything like, I just want ease and a good relationship and someone who works like me with speed that answers their phone, that answers their emails. Like if I got to track you down uh, for information and I'm your investor, it's just, you know, we're not going to do business. And usually those people are the red flags that are doing something nefarious. So I would judge the character of, of the people you're getting in bed with over everything. So I'm definitely going to ask you some health questions, but we're going to transition over to real estate next. And one of the things that we chatted about even before we hit record is a lot of people are talking about real estate from cash flow and appreciation. And what I love about real estate as an asset class is you can use leverage to acquire it. So you don't need to be put all your all your money to acquire an asset, which is incredible. It should appreciate. And a lot of times over time, it will grow in value. It will create cash flow. But then there's um, tax benefits. And what's interesting is what like Robert Kiyosaki is noted for saying, like, don't buy an asset if it doesn't put cash flow back in your pocket. And you, one of the first things that you said is like, hey, my philosophy when it comes to real estate is I, I look for the tax benefits. I don't find that a ton of people are talking about this. And so I want to just let you speak to the framework of, of what, what you mean by that. And then how someone could really benefit by looking at real estate, not just from a cash flow and net worth, because uh, those both are important, but how they can put the lens of looking at real estate through the lens of tax benefits and how that can improve their 
their portfolio. We we talked about it briefly, but I want to just give you the ability to kind of share some of your thoughts and frameworks. Yeah. So let's start with the foundation of the type of real estate vehicle that you're in. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm in, I'm invested in real estate and they, they buy a REIT on the public markets, right? A real estate investment trust sold publicly is a derivative of the real, the real investment, right? So you're going to get your 4%. You're not going to get any of the tax benefits. You're not getting anything really. You're, you're buying a derivative. It's repackaged on a public market. So if you want these benefits, you're going to have to be on the inside, right? Which is private placement, have to be accredited. But if you can do that and get with these syndicators that are doing commercial real estate, that's where the tax benefits are. So in concept, when as a limited partner, if I invest in a real estate syndication, I own a small percentage of that overall LLC that owns the real estate and the business that's operating that real estate. That's the important thing, right? So if that business spends a bunch of money renovating the units, right, that's CapEx, and then they do cost segregation, which is basically depreciating different parts of the project um, in the first year um, individually, you can generate a massive net loss on paper and don't get that confused with with losing money because that property is still going to cash flow. I'm still getting paid every month and I'm still going to get the tax benefits. So that's going to flow through to you in the form of a K-1 at the end of the year. And if it's a development deal or a value add deal, that's specifically what I look for because that's where you're going to get the most depreciation. Sometimes it's 60 to 70% of the initial investment I can write off in year one. Pretty, that's pretty incredible, man. And uh, Carlton Dennis on on YouTube, I've I've had him on. He talks. He's obsessed about that and short term rentals being the same another strategy that people can use uh, as a, as a tax benefit. And so, um, yeah, is there anything that you'd be wary of of someone looking at real estate from the tax side? Uh, not necessarily from the tax side, but just in general. What you have to understand about syndicators is they raise other people's money and then they go buy the assets, right? So mm-hmm. in a time in a time like this where there's very few transactions because rates are really high, at, you know, sellers don't want to budge on, on the on the cost. You kind of got to stalemate. There's a lot of syndicators out there that have raised capital that is not being deployed responsibly. But when they have LPs money and they don't have skin in the game, they need to place it. They need to get it out there. And I think there's a, a big community of irresponsible operators out there right now that are are buying real estate with LP money just because they need to place it. And they probably don't even believe in the property. They don't believe in, in the investment at all. And they're like, if it works out, we get paid. We get our, our acquisition fee. And if it doesn't work out, oops, we lost the LPs. money. So you just got to be very, very careful. I would ask questions like, how much are you personally investing in this one? You know, I, I, I want to be invested with people that have skin in the game. Like if I wasn't personally invested in Kearns Capital, I don't think any of you should invest. Yeah. I think there's I think there's a lot of wisdom there, man. I think there's a lot of wisdom. Um, is there, I know we want to be careful not to like put give any names, but is there places or people that you would recommend learning more about the syndication space or, or is that something that is tough to give on a podcast that's going to be broadcasted all over the place? I mean, there's a lot of great operators. Um, 
and and I'm very well networked in this space. I was just out at the multifamily wealth conference here in Vegas uh, last month. Met, met a bunch of bunch of new operators. But I mean, if if you're someone that's looking for deals with good operators, I mean, if, I've got five to ten deals that you know people I know are raising capital for at all times. So. Um, and that's what ends up happening, right? At the end of the year, we're going to have a bunch of partners at Kearns Capital. They're going to need tax write-offs. And, you know, the best operators who have the best deals, that's who I'm going to send them to. So awesome. um, awesome. wouldn't be any different for anybody listening to this. You know, if you want to get involved, you know, just shoot, shoot me a message and I'll see if I can help you. Amazing. Amazing. I appreciate that. Um, now we're going to transition to the health side because obviously we we were jamming before we hit record. And um, you're you're into health as, 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 I, as I am as well. So... Obviously, the company that you, your dad was a part, like you were a part of, that you helped exit, um, was a uh, farm-to-table company. Do you want to just like give us a little context of that, and then also share anything that you're personally doing right now that's helping better your life as it relates to how you how you live? Yeah, so we we had a farm-to-table food service, and we would go to you know we research the entire country. What are the best farms? What what are the practices? I mean, I learned a, I don't know what what's it called, a triple PhD in food sourcing. I mean, um, I know everything you need to look for from how pastures are rotated to the breeds of the animals, to what they're eating, to how they're processed, how they're packaged. I mean, microplastics, for instance, just a major problem, right? Like if your food, if you're buying organic food that's wrapped in microplastics and, and you're eating that, it's just, you know, not, uh, you're not doing yourself any favor. So we, we did little things like our, our, uh, our packaging was BPA free. It was also didn't have any phthalates, um, which are directly linked to infertility. Um, tons of issues that we're having now. And BPA is synthetic estrogen. That's what bisphenol A is. So all these microplastics that we're ingesting, I mean, it's it's not a surprise to me that we're having mass hormone problems across the population. And this stuff's in our water, right? We got we got one water supply on this planet. And when you've got commercial agriculture spraying glyphosate and all these pesticides all over your food. Most people say, well, I, I'm not getting exposed to that because I'm eating organic food. But the reality is, is all that's going into the aquifer. It's going up in the rain cycle, turns into bioaerosols. And the most dangerous thing is the water. Because when that those chemicals come into your house and they go through the hot water heater, it turns your, your, your shower into a gas chamber of chemicals. And I have a theory on this, can't prove it, but I've always wondered why smoking is plummeting. People don't smoke cigarettes like they used to. Why is lung cancer increasing? And I think it's our exposure to environmental toxins and the crap we're breathing in on a daily basis. So I, I'm, we could have a whole podcast on water, believe it or not, because I the reason why we jam and is I'm very aligned in how you think. Do you what do you do for water? The water solution? Do you have like a a, a filter or what would you recommend? Because we filter our water. I'm the nerd that brings a water filter to the airport and filters everything before I drink it. Um, so I'm with you, by the way. Um, so tell me, like, what's your water hack 101? Yeah. So the first principle here is you're never going to escape environmental toxins, right? So this is about reducing the overall toxic load from all angles, right? If you eat clean, you got clean water, clean air, we're reducing toxic load, right? Uh, same thing with, you know, not drinking too much alcohol, all this stuff, right? It all adds up. And when you get DNA damage from too much toxic load, that's what cancer is, right? So it's about really avoiding DNA damage. Um, and the first line of defense is a whole house water system. And when you go down this water rabbit hole, it can get crazy. You could spend $30,000 on all house water system. You don't need to do that. Remember, we're trying to reduce toxic load. So a basic carbon filtration system that goes point of entry when it comes into your house, 
they're anywhere from 2,500 to five grand on the quality. And uh, that's going to remove 99% of all the crap that can kill you coming into the house. So to me, that's step one, because your skin's your biggest organ. That's actually how you you absorb most of the environmental toxins. So if you've got a, like an under counter system or a filter on your fridge and you're drinking clean water and you feel safe, that's a small percentage of it. You need your whole house uh, filter. Now, if you're in an apartment, it's a different strategy, right? You can't put a whole house water system on an apartment. But what you can do is do shower head filters and point of use filters, right? The shower filter to me is the most, you know, that's the most important one is what you're showering in. You can't have those heated chemicals and toxins coming into your shower. And what I'll, what I'll do is I will put the shower filters that I use just in the link below. I think it's, I think it's an Amazon thing. And then if you want to send me any links from a standpoint of what you use for a, a, a whole house filter system, I'm, I'm with you. If it's two to five to 10 K um, again, think about this. You you could put that money in and you could get compound interest and all those things, or you could make sure that you're building a foundation of health so that you can show up powerfully and actually enjoy the money that you're making long term. And it's so funny that you said water because I've probably been telling all my friends last one to two years we we have a we have a water problem and it's in the United States. Like we're going overseas and helping people drill and get water and that's awesome. But like I don't think people know how bad it is in the united states and i don't know there's there's probably some business opportunities there well yeah i mean full full disclosure uh, i do have an environmental toxin company that i'm not active in but it was it was a branch off of heartland Foods. so we we did sell a, a full suite of commercial grade um, air purification water purification all of it and um so i, I know a lot about that too kdf and nsf certifications what, what's garbage at home depot and what actually filters your stuff um, but the, the, where I would start just so everyone can be aware, if you just send me a DM with your zip code, I'll send you the water report for where you live and you can see the what's in your water and the concentrations of it. And then, if, you know, at that point, if you don't take action, you're just asking. for it. All right. All right. We'll definitely, we'll definitely have a way for people to connect with you. And I think <laughs> I have access to the same report you do. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's pretty terrifying when you start bringing someone's zip code up and you're like, yikes. Um, yeah, lot, lots more to talk about there. What are the things I, I, again, I sometimes are more passionate about the health side than the money side. What are the things that is, is relevant in your world that would really benefit our audience as relates to living more intentionally, wealth efficiency, real estate, health? Like what are the things that are, that you're having conversations that people are leaning in on? Yeah. I mean, health is first. I mean, when I was doing health coaching for a while, if I could just get people to walk 30 minutes a day. I mean, that's the most life-changing thing. Like, If you want to lose weight, yeah, you got to eat, right? You got to do all these things. But the the general just movement is the most underrated thing out there. You can just go walk two to three miles a day. You'll be infinitely healthier, right? The body needs to move. So uh, I would say definitely do that and and prioritize it, right? Like even when I didn't have money, I mean, the one thing that I, I never skimped on um, was taking care of my health. Like, yes, I got an expensive gym membership even if I had to put it on a credit card, because it's the foundation. You know, if you're not, if you're not working on yourself personally, like you have to be wealthy inside before you're ever going to be wealthy monetarily. So I didn't look at that as like, I'm wasting money when the organic stakes twice as much as the other one, it wasn't a waste of money. It was an investment to me. And, and that served me very well. So look at investing, not just, I, I give money and I get money back. It's, it's where, where can I put value to get value back? I love that. Any 
any books that you've read more than once or that you would have on your top list from a standpoint of definitely read these or these have impacted my life? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been taking a break. I used to be incredibly obsessed with books, uh, reading a couple of months for a decade. And then I got to this point where it was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm done learning. I need execute right so there's different phases don't don't become too obsessed with learning you got to take take action at times so it's different seasons of your life uh, where you're looking for answers but once you get that answer you got to go um but yeah i mean the the rich dad series was the foundation for me rich dad poor dad then it was cash flow quadrant then it was rich dad's guide to investing then rich dad's guide to real estate like when i find something i like it's all in probably listen to those audiobooks 10 times each over and over and over every book that Grant Cardone wrote. I mean, that's that's what built my sales career. Um, I mean, those uh, stick out to me. Um, the Lifestyle Investor, one of my favorite books, that's what got me to stop thinking about growing and saving money and yep. started investing for cash flow. Uh, yep. Justin th- Donald's a good friend, so I'm glad glad that that's a, a book that you're, that you're a fan of. I changed everything for me because what, what I realized was that when you have cash flow that hits every month, whether you work or not, that's when fear goes away. That's when you actually sleep well, right? Mm-hmm. Having a lot of money sitting in a bank account or in a 401k doesn't take any pressure off of you. Zero. Mm-hmm. You still got to go to work tomorrow to get that active income or you're screwed, right? So mm-hmm. investing for cash flow that pays you today and is never going to go away, that's that's where you can really find peace and freedom financially. I, lo- I love that, man. Um, well, I'm just going to transition to how I end, end the show um, if this was your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most and you couldn't give them any cash flow, any water filters, any books, any movies, you just had one last conversation with them, what would you say? Man, you're stopping me on this one. That's a good one. I mean, I would just say be unapologetically you and what other people do has nothing to do with you and your happiness and just because I have this, you know, I'm built with this crazy dopamine system that all high achiever entrepreneur people are. Um, if that's not you, that's okay. You know, like you got to do what's, what's going to make you happy. And, you know, people like people like us that are hard charge entrepreneurs, it's the hardest mm-hmm. type of personality um, to achieve happiness just because you've always got to be moving towards the next thing and you never really get that contentness. So if you can just find that, um, it's a beautiful thing. I envy people who are just happy being as is. Yeah. Con- contentment, I think there's a reason there's the Bible talks a lot about it. It's it's a it's one of the most magical things that you can have and you can't you can't rid someone of something if they're truly content with their self and their identity. Like you can't be bought. And I think there's something really powerful about that. How can people uh find you? I'm sure there's a ton of people that want to hear more about you, start following what you're up to. Obviously, you're on Instagram. Where other platforms or areas that people can can stay connected? Yeah, we're on all the social medias. So it's Justin Freistadt. And uh, website is toptierhuman.com. That's my personal website. And then Kearns Capital, that website is kearns.capital. There's no .com on the back of that. So just kearns.capital. Amazing. Well, Justin, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on and just getting us to think differently and just being you. And and thank you ultimately for for sharing just some of the most deepest parts of what was made you tick. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.